All right, so Pastor Jonathan kind of opened up uh, our worship series last week, and he talked about the four R's, four, four different aspects of how we can engage in worship. This isn't the everything the Bible has to say about worship, but it's just some guidelines to get us started. And so he talked about rehearsing the truth of who God is, and we're going to dive deeper into that this morning. Then next Sunday, we're going to talk about receiving, actually grabbing hold of the things that God's saying to me. And then uh, finally, we're going to wrap things up talking about responding. How do we respond to him? And then the fourth word that we were encouraged in is rest. And so when we come together for our worship night, we're going to kind of piece all those things together. God, how do we rehearse the truth of who you are and receive it and respond to you? And then God, just rest in the truth of who you are and what you've done for us. So that's where we're heading this morning is rehearsing the truth. If you want to turn to Acts chapter 16, our main passage is going to be found there. I'm going to give you a little bit of backstory. So there's this guy named Paul who'd been radically saved, had met Jesus kind of in this vision on the Damascus road, and he'd begun following him. He'd begun preaching a little bit. And something very specific happens in the beginning of Acts chapter 16. God kind of calls him and a couple of other people that he was with, this guy named Silas, among some others, uh, on what's called the Macedonia call. He was called to a certain region or area in the Roman Empire. And so they hear this call and they decide, okay, God, you're telling us to go, we're going to go. And they launch out. And some incredible things happen almost right off the bat. Uh, they get to the first place they're supposed to be. They're, they're kind of in the outskirts of this town named Philippi. And they go out to this location and they meet this, this lady and they begin to just share and exchange the truth of who Jesus is with her. And she gets saved and falls in love with Jesus. A short time later, they're walking through this town and there's this woman who is kind of fortune telling and stuff and she's doing it by demonic influence. Um, and she gets set free. They cast out the demon. She gets set free from that oppression and it's like, man, this is amazing. God called us. We went on this adventure. We've got our first convert. We're seeing demons get cast out. Like, this is the stuff Jesus was doing. And he told us that we would see some of those things happen in our own lives. This is amazing. I mean, can you just imagine being on that kind of like spiritual adventure and seeing God show up miraculously? And so here they are. These two things have taken place. This is amazing. And they're walking through town and something happens. The guys who were making money off of the girl who was doing fortune telling, they're upset. They just lost their business. And they get so furious that these guys have come to town and stirred up trouble. They drag them before the magistrates right in the middle of town and kind of come up with this just on the spot trial, which basically amounted to them yelling and angry at the guys. And then this takes place. Acts chapter 16, verse 22. The crowd joined in attacking them, and the magistrates tore the garments off them and gave orders to beat them with rods. And when they had afflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. And then verse 25, about midnight. Can you guys say about midnight? Like five of y'all did that. Can y'all say about midnight? about midnight? Awesome. Sorry, I did youth ministry for years. It's like I got I to gotta make sure people are awake and staying with me, so I'm going to make you say stuff every now and then. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying 
and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Wow. There's a couple things that I find significant there. First of all, they're in prison. I'm guessing they didn't actually have a hymnal to pull out to read through and find their favorite hymn and sing it. I'm definitely positive that they didn't have an iPhone or an iPod in their back pocket that they could just pop their earbuds in, you know, look up their favorite artist and start listening to worship music. How were they able to sing hymns in prison in the dark at midnight? They knew them. They knew them. One of the key aspects to worshiping God is rehearsing the truth of who he is. And I don't know about you, but for me, even though I'm a terrible singer, there's a reason we connect music and songs with learning. Have y'all ever experienced this in your life where you learn a song or you learn a fact or something and it sticks with you because of a song? I mean, Rodrigo, I was just thinking about this morning, 3000 BC, like the kids listen to that for their like dumb, it's like this, this horribly produced homeschool song helping them learn some history fact. I don't even know what the fact is, but I have 3000 BC and I can hear the tune in my head. And that's, I always leave the room right after that. I'm like, I'm out, I'm out. But like it's stuff sticks with you. Like when we attach words to music, um, it does something in our hearts, in our minds. It engages our minds and we remember. And so is worship just singing? No. But there is incredible power in combining the truth of who God is with music and rehearsing those things over in our minds and letting that truth sink in and take hold. Pastor Jonathan said this last week, we rehearse the things we want to know. If I want to know it, I practice it. I repeat it. I get it down inside of me. And so, yeah, hopefully every day I'm not in prison. But what about when I am? And maybe I'm not in prison, but maybe I'm in the pit. Maybe I'm in the low place. Maybe I'm going through a season of difficulty. See, if I wait till then and then I'm grasping, hoping there's something there, it's too late. Let me begin to get that truth deep down inside of me in advance, day by day. There's a reason we sing every Sunday. There's a reason we pray every Sunday, but we sing every Sunday so this truth begin to sink down into our hearts. But listen, I don't know if you've discovered this, I love worshiping on my own. In some ways, because I'm a terrible singer, it's actually more freeing. I can be in the car by myself and let it rip. And my voice cracking in the midst of it and changing keys. And it doesn't matter because I'm the only one there. It's awesome. I've also discovered, you know, when the weather's nice, if I roll my driver's side window down, I can even get like a hand up every now and then while I'm driving down the road. There's there's just something powerful about realizing I can sing as I'm going about my day. I can worship the Lord. Now, there's, there's time for intentional, private, early morning Bible study and things like that. But the beauty of worshiping God is I can do it anytime, any place throughout the day. Rehearsing who God is, is powerful. I was thinking about this this morning. Um, you know, we're, we're singing that song, 10,000 Reasons. And I just want to re- read the chorus and the first verse again. Bless the Lord, O my soul. O my soul, worship his holy name. Sing like never before, O my soul. I'll worship your holy name. Now, what stands out to me about that chorus 
is as we're singing it, we're actually giving ourselves some instructions. Have you ever noticed that? I'm telling my soul, soul, we're going to worship Jesus. There are times, in fact, it's probably more often than not where I don't feel like worshiping. That's exactly when I need to worship the most. And I can tell my heart, heart, I know that everything outwardly, circumstances, emotions are just not feeling it right now. But God, I need to worship you. You're worthy of it. You're good. And I need to be reminded of this truth. And so I tell my soul, soul, he's good. He's loving. He's powerful. And then notice the first, um, the first verse that we sung. The sun comes up. It's a new day dawning. It's time to sing your song again. Whatever may pass and whatever lies before me, let me be singing when the evening comes. It sounds so lovely and so encouraging until when the evening comes at midnight, you find yourself in prison. That's when it gets real. That's when it gets real. E. Stanley Jones had this to say. I love this quote. He said, the early Christians did not say in dismay, look what the world has come to, but in delight, look what has come to the world. Look what's come to the world. Sure, I'm in jail. Sure, I just got beaten. Sure, I'm getting mocked and kicked out of towns. But Jesus has come into the world. He loves us. He sets us free. See, the beauty of rehearsing in worship is that worship travels. It comes with me whatever my circumstances are. Whether those circumstances change or not, my worship comes with me. And I just have to wonder, you know, as they're in this prison and they're, they're singing these songs at midnight, I just wonder if they find themselves running through some psalms of David, singing some of those psalms. There's like 17 or 18 psalms. I was looking this up earlier this week. 17 or 18 psalms that specifically are about praising God in the midst of my enemy being present. I wonder if they were singing something like this, Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. Jesus is the kind of God who can turn a prison into a fortress. I can go from being in chains to being enthroned in his palace and know that he's got me. He's with me. He's holding me. He's sustaining me. That's the power of Jesus in our life. And by holding on to and singing and rehearsing these truths, that stuff can get down inside of me. So the first thing we see with Paul and Silas is they're rehearsing. They're rehearsing the truth of who God is. And I love, I love how there's like this overlap where it says they were praying and singing. Like real worship, you don't really differentiate between them. True worship that's happening, it's prayer. You know, we're going to talk about prayer in a few weeks. That's kind of our next chunk in the series, so I don't want to get too far ahead of the game. But prayer is just communication. It's a conversation between me and the Lord. Some aspects of prayer are me communicating my heart to Him. Some aspects of prayer are me listening to what He's trying to say to me. Worship can help get that ball rolling. God, I am, I am singing these songs and they're starting to turn into prayers because you're talking to me about who you are. I'm declaring back to you how much I need you, how much I love you. Or I'm just being real and going, this stinks. This is hard right now. Help. But that exchange takes place. 
Well, they go from rehearsing to being released. Check this out. Remember, people were listening, right? That verse ended with, and, and the prisoners were listening. And then the sentence continues, verse 26. Then suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened. How many doors? All the doors. And everyone's bonds were unfastened. How many people's bonds were unfastened? Everyone's. All the doors were opened. Everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer woke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Whoa. Supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But, but Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. I mean, you talk about a miracle. A bunch of prisoners are in jail and the doors fling open. You could color me gone in that situation. Like, that's almost as big of a miracle as the doors opening up. They all stayed put. And so he sees this. The jailer calls for lights to check and make sure this is true. Rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? I mean, only Jesus could turn the prisoner into the person that's being sought to receive salvation. This is the guard. He's got the, the guns or the swords or whatever. Like, he's the guard. And he's going to the prisoner and saying, I need to be saved. Will you rescue me? What do I do? And they said, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night, check this out, and washed their wounds. And he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced along with his entire household that they had believed in God. Check this out. In the midst of their worship, look at some things that happen. It doesn't just say they were released. The very foundation of the prison that they were in was shaken. Was shaken. I wonder how many places, how many moments in our life we get stuck. We get in a position that we can't seem to get out of. We get in a rut that we're trapped in. Maybe there's a sin that's like, God, I've been battling with this thing for a year, for five years, for 10 years. I can't get out of this. God, I'm in a funk. I'm depressed. I'm frustrated. Lord, I'm stuck in a job I'm tired of. I don't know what it might be. But those places we get in and we get stuck. And yet God can shake the very foundations of the places that have us stuck in order to set us free. And he doesn't just bring freedom for Paul and Silas. Because they were willing to verbalize their praise, because they were willing to sing out, others heard and listened and received the same benefit. Because they didn't just keep it inside, they let it out. That freedom was shared for all. Everybody in the prison had the shackles fall off. Everybody's doors swung open. The power of us rehearsing worship and being willing to do it boldly, publicly, together, is it helps set other people free. Who knows what the Lord might do if we choose to worship him even in the midst of the prison cell. The prison was shaken. Everyone was set free. And then check this out. I love this. In the midst of what's happening here, 
Paul and Silas, the ones who were wounded and beaten, remember, they weren't just in prison. They'd been injured. And in the midst of their worship, when they get set free, their wounds get washed. Now, I want to I encourage you with something. Faithful follower of Jesus. Someone who's found yourself trudging along the way at times. If we are willing to risk in worship, if we're willing to lay ourselves out there, there are two miraculous things that can take place. Number one, wounds that I've been carrying for a long time, Jesus longs to come touch them and heal them. But the power in me being real and vulnerable with someone else, I invite them into an experience that changes their life. And as this prison guard is helping meet their physical needs, washing their wounds, that bro gets baptized. What's that baptism a picture of? His sin washing away. His old life being made new. Because they were willing to worship God in the midst of their difficulty, because they rehearsed that truth and they began to receive freedom, God comes along and begins to heal and bind up their wounds and someone else standing near gets saved, meets Jesus, has their lives changed. Church, we are all evangelists. We are all disciple makers. When we're willing to lay our heart before the Lord and walk through life with Him, and we're willing to risk being real with other people, God uses our wounds, our prisons that he sets us free from to touch the lives of others. Every one of us gets to be a part of that. Now here's the deal. I I don't want to communicate this morning that every time we worship, everything just gets better. That doesn't necessarily happen. We find ourselves stuck in these difficult circumstances. Um, Paul himself, just a few chapters earlier in Acts, really the first time Paul shows up on the scene, his name's Saul still at the time, and he's standing by while a guy named Stephen gets stoned. And what Stephen does as he's being stoned is he worships. He sees this vision of God in heaven. He bows down, he worships him, And then he utters very similar words to what Jesus uttered on the cross. He prays that God would not hold it against the people who are stoning him. He's asking that his very executioners be forgiven. And Saul is standing by. He's the one holding everybody's coats. Now, I would love to think, well, that's the moment that got his attention, right? He's watching this faithful follower of Jesus worship and some miracle happens. No, he watches the guy die. Stephen worships his way into the throne of heaven. Saul stands by, and that actually launches his career of persecuting Christians. The next chapter is where he picks up and he begins to travel around from town to town, throwing Christians in prison. That was the start. That's what he saw. But see, Saul saw this, and then he saw Jesus on the Damascus road. And then Saul was the one falling to his knees and having his name changed from Saul to Paul. And he becomes a worshiper. And now tides have changed a little bit. He's the guy getting beaten. He's the guy getting thrown in prison, no longer the one standing by. Paul may have gotten out of this jail cell, but he ended up in others, 
and he ended up giving his life for the sake of the cross. But the beauty and the glory of who God is is not only does he come in the midst of our circumstances, sometimes changing the circumstances, sometimes sustaining us through them, the beauty of who he is is he saves. It's what this prison guard experienced. He saves for the long haul. He saves to the uttermost. I am set free eternally. I'm forgiven of my sin forever. I will be healed and have a a brand new, perfect body in heaven. Man, the older I get, the more thankful I get for that one. Like, it's starting to hurt getting out of bed in the morning. I I didn't sign up for this, right? But he, he, he makes all things new. And so he's in it for the long haul. See, these are some of the things that Jesus told his disciples before he left. He said this, John 16, 33. I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world, you will have tribulation. Jesus does not lie to us. He does not try to sugarcoat things. Hey, it's going to be difficult, but take heart. I have overcome the world. That's what gives me the ability to worship him. I serve the God who has overcome this world. He's with me in the circumstance. He sets me free. He heals my wounds, and he sets me on a path to eternal life with him because of who he is, because of what he's done. And so we can be released. See, this is part of what Jesus was talking about when he was talking with the woman at the well, and she was having this discussion with him about where we worship and how we worship, and it looks different in different places. And in John 4, 23, he just looks at her and he says, it's not about what town you're worshiping in. It's not about what building you're worshiping in. Here's what worship really is. The hour is coming, and in fact, it's here. When the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for the Father is seeking such people to worship him. See, it it takes spiritual eyes to believe that the truth isn't just the circumstances I'm seeing right now. It takes spiritual eyes to be able to look at the circumstances and see through them to see my Savior and the truth of who he is and the truth of what he does and let that truth sink down deep into my spirit and change my outlook. That's what happens when I worship the Lord. I open up my spirit to him. I declare the truth of who he is. I would propose to you guys that Paul and Silas were released long before those chains fell off. Those were some free dudes sitting inside that prison. To be up at midnight singing and praying and not caring what other people thought. You know, it sounds all like this lovely picture, right? Like the prisoners were listening. I bet there was maybe even a little bit more going on than just listening. I bet there might have been some mocking. There might have been some insults. There might have been some eye rolling. There might have been some, hey, shut up, dude. It's midnight. I'm tired over here. You know, I can only imagine what a prison would be like. But these guys were free because they'd been set free by the one who does that very thing. So we rehearse. As we rehearse, we watch God release us, set us free, change us, and sometimes change our circumstances. Number three, they return. Check this out. I have to admit, like, this story so often, I kind of stop where they just get out. And they're free, and this guy gets saved, and it's kind of the end. But look how the story actually wraps up. Acts 16, verse 35. But when it was day, the magistrates sent the police saying, let those men go. See, the magistrates don't know what was happening at midnight last night. They were asleep in bed. 
So we're like, hey, okay, those guys, we beat them. They learned their lesson. Let's, let's set them free now. And the jailer reported these words to Paul saying, the magistrates have sent to let you go. Therefore, come out now and go in peace. But Paul said to them, they have beaten us publicly, uncondemned, men who are Roman citizens and have thrown us into prison. And do they now throw us out secretly? No, let them come themselves and take us out. And so the police reported these words to the magistrates and they were afraid when they heard that they were Roman citizens. So they came and apologized to them and they took them out and asked them to leave the city. So they went out of the prison and visited Lydia. That's the woman they'd led to the Lord. And when they had seen the brothers, they encouraged them and departed. Do you understand what happened? They went back to the prison. They were at the bro's house. They're baptizing him. Their wounds are getting washed. But they got to be back in prison by the morning before the guards show up, before the magistrates come. They go back to the prison they were in. And from that prison cell, they talk to their enemies. They talk to their friends. They're encouraging other believers. God places them right back where they were. But they're different. They're different. Leonard Ravenhill wrote this. This is a bro that lived kind of all through the last century, died in 1994. He said, The greatest miracle that God can do today is to take an unholy man out of an unholy world and make him holy and then put him back into that unholy world and keep him holy in it. Only God can do that. That is a miracle of God. He longs to find men and women who have a heart to worship this holy God who loves us, who longs to change us. And then, you know, there's kind of this reason why we, when we say the sinner's prayer, we don't just disappear in rapture right then. This unholy world needs holy men and women of God in it. I'm not saying perfect men and women of God. Holy. One of the things holy means is just set apart for. Set apart, special, cherished. You know, kind of like what we do when we worship God. We set him apart. He's special. He's cherished in our heart. And the exchange that takes place when I'm rehearsing the truth of who God is, is I'm, I'm declaring how holy he is. And then I realize, wait a minute, and he loves me, and he set me apart, and he values me, and he treasures me. And I begin to treasure him and realize how much he really already treasures me. And this exchange takes place, and as I'm rehearsing these truths, I begin to be set free. I begin to be made new, to be released. And then he says, cool. That was sweet. Now go back to work. Go back home. Go hang out with your kids. Go see that coworker. Go see that neighbor that drives you nuts. <clears throat> Thomas. Whatever, you know, just, <laughs> just a little friendly neighbor joke there, that's all. Um, but no, like, like get back engaged in the world because the world needs to hear us singing. The world needs to hear us singing. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your incredible love. God, I want to say thank you to you this morning that I can come into a school cafeteria with my friends and worship you. I can stand in this place and be in awe of who you are 
And God, I can rehearse and repeat and try my best to sing the truth of who you are. And Jesus, I thank you that slowly but surely, this knucklehead, this hard heart, somehow in some way gets softened by you. And every now and then a little more truth seeps in. And I I believe a little more and I hold you a little closer. And sometimes I even risk to respond back to you about how great you are. And God, you set me free more and more. God, thank you that I have real truth to rehearse no matter what this world is telling me. Thank you, God, that you release me. You free me more and more every day. Thank you for the eternal life that I have in you. And God, as hard as it is to thank you for this, God, thank you that you put me back in this world. Help me to sing so others can hear. It's in Jesus' name we pray this morning. Amen. Amen.